Tom Brady, the quarterback of the New England Patriots, is not only one of the NFL's best players, he's one of the NFL's great stories. At the tender age of 30, he has already won three Super Bowls, an accomplishment that ranks him with some of the best quarterbacks ever to play the game. And he's having one of the greatest seasons in pro football history. When we first reported on him back in 2005, he seemed underrated and almost overlooked. He doesn't have the arm of Peyton Manning, and he doesn't have tattoos, and he doesn't take steroids, and he's never held out for more money. All he knows how to do is win. <laughs> it's what you always wanted. You're right. You're right. It has. And I didn't think it came with all the other baggage, though. In addition to his success on the field and his sex appeal off it, there is also the $60 million 10-year contract to play with the Patriots. I mean, I'm making more money now than I ever thought I could ever make playing football. But with all that money, fame, and career accomplishments, we were surprised to hear this from him. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and, and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is me. I thank God. It's got to be more than this. What's the answer? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Sound is a little off here, but from that video is obviously from a, a couple of years ago. Um, Tom Brady has now racked up um, two more Super Bowl, Super Bowl rings. And depending on who you're cheering for today, maybe you're hoping that he'll leave Minneapolis with um, one more. But the point is there's something so profound about seeing someone who is supposedly at the top of their game, who is able to say, look, I have achieved all the things, Right? Um, I have the money, I have the fame, I have the sex appeal, I have the rings, and yet I'm still wondering, is there more? And it's clear from the way he says this, it's not like he's looking for more of the stuff he already has, right? He's not looking to accumulate more stuff, but he's wondering maybe if I missed something along the way, something that matters. And it was so funny because when I saw this video and I rolled through the comments underneath, people were saying, Jesus, it's Jesus. Like that's what he needs. And while I understand that response and yes, I agree that Jesus is very much the answer to the question, is there more? I also know that understanding that in our heads is very different from experiencing it and learning it in our hearts because friends, let's just be honest. Those of us who have Jesus are not always walking with a deep sense of contentment in our lives. We've probably heard these verses from Philippians before. We've heard sermons on contentment before. Or at the very least, we know that things would be better for us if we were more content with what we have. But there is a disconnect. Because the truth is this morning that contentment is not something that you know with your head, but it's an experience that is cultivated in your heart. And so as we look at these verses this morning, why don't you join me in prayer that the Holy Spirit would help us understand contentment, but we would be open to the journey of practicing it in our lives. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I have heard a number of sermons on contentment, and we know that your word to us speaks to the reality that contentment is available to us. And yet we oftentimes pursue things that are short-lived, Experiences that make us happy for a moment but offer no real satisfaction. 
So that tells me that unless you come and work in us, these words will not be very helpful. So God, would you just meet us here, take these words in a way that only you can and make them real in our lives. Change us, convict us, and lead us to repentance and joy. Show us what you've already given us in Christ and let it impact us in the deepest of places. Amen. And so we want to talk this morning as we wrap up this series on Philippians about the joy that comes in our lives when we experience contentment. Because there is, there's a joy that comes into our lives when we experience contentment. How many of us would love to be, by a show of hands, more content in our lives, more content in our lives. Um, If you're raising your hand right now, you are probably over the age of 35. Um, A lot of times if you're younger, it's like, we just want more and more and more and let's just keep going. And then you hit this wall in life. I think there's something about age, the gift of this, where you wonder, why am I doing all of this? What is this for? Is there something more? There was actually a study out of London that found that between the ages of 13 and 40, there is like this declining rate of contentment in people's lives, between 13 and 40. And so they've discovered that the age of 74 is like optimal for contentment. So for those of you that hit that, congratulations this morning. Um, Contentment isn't denying your feelings about wanting and desiring things, but instead contentment exhibits a freedom that says, I'm not going to be controlled by those feelings. Contentment isn't about pretending things are right when they're not, but instead it displays a peace that comes from knowing that God is bigger than any problems and that he works them out for our good. Contentment isn't a feeling of well-being that's contingent on keeping circumstances under control, but instead it promotes a joy in spite of circumstances, looking to a God who never varies. Contentment is not based on external circumstances, but rather on an internal source. Contentment is an issue of the heart. One of my favorite definitions of contentment is this. Contentment is an internal satisfaction which does not demand changes in external circumstances. Richard Swenson wrote this on what discontentment is. He says, it is restless heart syndrome. And so it's interesting that one of the most profound verses about the joy that comes from contentment in all of scripture comes from Paul Paul, who was writing these words in jail. Paul, who was always willing to push at the boundaries. He wasn't okay with just preaching the good news to the Jews. He said, I want there to be more. And so he went out and said, this is for the Gentiles too. A guy who was filled with a sense of ambition and leadership wrote these words to the church. And it was the first church that he started in all of Europe. And so as he says these words, he is sharing these with much affection for this community. And his desire as he ends this letter is to say, you know, thanks for the money that you sent me while I was in prison. That's going to help care for him while he's there. But also, I want to encourage you. And so we're just going to camp out on these words. I know what it is to be in need, he says. I know what it is to have plenty. And I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. 
It's interesting that Paul here uses the phrase, I've discovered the secret. In other words, this is not something that's gonna come naturally to us. The answer is something that is hidden and it needs to be uncovered. Another way Paul says this is with a word he uses two times in this passage. He says it needs to be learned. Maybe this week you found yourself on social media scrolling through and in your mind you're thinking, I wish I had that. Or why wasn't I invited to that? Or you're looking at someone's picture and you're wondering why my house doesn't look that way or my kids don't do that. A while ago, we did a series called Struggles and we talked about social media and we said we have to be careful because we are often comparing our behind the scenes with other people's highlight reels, right? We feel like losers because we see the best of their best and we know the worst of our worst. And social media will just suck us in in a matter of seconds, we're in this trap of comparisons. And friends, don't deny the fact that this does something to our hearts. I'm not saying don't use it as a tool to connect, but friends, be careful with your heart. Because the goal that we're working towards is to learn to be content. And some of you know that there are places that you hang out that breed discontent in you. I don't know if they're online or they're physical spaces, but some of you should just take a break from going to the mall. And before you nudge the person next to you, some of you maybe should not go to Cabela's. Or you should not go to the auto dealer because there is not a car left that you haven't test driven, right? I was talking to someone the other day and they were telling me, I was telling them about my first trip to Mills Fleet Farm. And they were talking about how they love Mills Fleet Farm. And I was like, dude, you have crossed the line. Like your reaction to Fleet Farm is telling me that this is fueling something else in your life, right? Or maybe you tell yourself like Amazon Prime is a great service and it's saving you a ton of money and time, but those boxes keep showing up at your door and it is just fueling discontent in our life. The good news this morning is that we can learn to be content. We can learn to be content. This discontentment, this restlessness is not something we have to settle for, but we can decide to grow in. I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon. He's a famous pastor in London and he said this, contentment is not the natural propensity of man. Weeds grow quickly. Greed, discontent, and grumbling are as natural to man as thorns are to the soil. You have no need to sow thistles and brambles. They come up naturally enough because they are indigenous to the earth upon which rests the curse. So you have no need to teach men to complain. They complain fast enough without any education. But the precious things of earth, friends, get this, must be cultivated. If we would have wheat, we must plow and sow. If we want flowers, there must be the garden and all the gardeners care. Now contentment, listen to this, is one of the flowers of heaven. And if we would have it, it must be cultivated. It will not grow in us by nature. It is the new nature alone that can produce it. And even then, we must be specifically what? Watchful and careful that we must maintain and cultivate the grace which God has sown in it. 
Paul says, I have learned to be content. I have cultivated it in my life. I have gone to school. That word learn there does not stem from kind of a head knowledge where Paul said, I went out and I read a few books and I had a few conversations and then I experienced contentment. But instead, that verb learn means I learned from experience. I lived my life and there were a lot of hard knocks, but they taught me a lot about contentment. In other places in the book of Philippians, he uses this phrase. He says, I put it into practice. I love that language because it reminds us, friends, that we're not going to get it at first. We're not going to be perfect, but that is not the goal. Are we moving forward? Are we moving towards Jesus by taking steps in our lives that help us experience a greater degree of contentment in our lives? Friends, how are you cultivating contentment? It has to be contended for. It has to be cultivated. And what would this mean for you to nurture, to foster this in your life? Who are the individuals or groups that create space for contentment to be nurtured? Spend time there. Pursue those relationships. What are the activities that foster and nurture contentment in your life? Friends, we need to do those things. We need to go after it. And this isn't like a one-size-fits-all deal because it's going to look different for everyone. And so I just want to give you a few kind of big picture thoughts, not an exhaustive list of some of the things that some of the steps you can take to, to nurture contentment. The first one is this, stop complaining and grumbling. Stop complaining and grumbling. A lot of times we say to God, you know what, if you just do this, then I'll be happy. And we start to bargain with God. Once I get this, I will be happy in my life. And friends, it nurtures this discontent. It nurtures a negative spirit in us. And friends, some of us need to get ruthless about just weeding this out of our lives. The second thing is this. We need to kill comparison. We need to kill comparison. The other day I was um, leaving the gym and I tried to get in a minivan that was not my own. (laughs) Be honest, I mean, how many of us have done this before, right? Thank you, Shelly. Um, We have a Honda Odyssey, and it seems like everyone else does as well, and I just walked up to mine thinking it was mine, and I couldn't get in as much as I stood there and clicked the button, Um, and I noticed down the row another Honda Odyssey that's taillights were lighting up as I clicked the button, Um, but I looked at my minivan, and to be honest, it didn't look as nice as the one I was trying to get in. Um, It had just been washed, and mine was covered in salt. Um, It didn't have any dents or dings, and mine has a big yellow scrape down the side from a run-in with a cement pole. Um, And theirs had a leather interior, and I thought, that's lovely. And um, as I was walking to my car, it was just this quick reminder of how quickly this comparison creeps into our lives. Galatians 6 says this, each of you should test your own actions. Then you can take pride in yourself without comparing yourself to somebody else for each of you should carry your own load. Friends, we need to kill comparisons. Next, we need to notice what we have and we need to thank God for it. Friends, as Christians, we should experience a deep sense of gratitude. And we need to notice the things that God has given us, the relationships that God has blessed us with, and we need to speak words of thanks and cultivate gratitude 
in our lives. The next thing we need to celebrate with others. Friends, I don't know about you, but when I get tripped up in comparisons, or when I'm thinking a lot about what I don't have and what I'm missing in life, I am not able to celebrate what others have and what they have accomplished. And suddenly this envy just creeps into my life. And I have had to get disciplined about this. So if I hear someone else who has accomplished something that I have always wanted to do, or they're going on vacation while I'm sitting in a constant snow globe, just trying to stay warm, I've had to stop this mental spiral that goes down the drain, and I literally need to stop and whisper a prayer of thanks to God for blessing others. I need to stop and I need to say, God, thank you that their family gets to go and do that. What a gift to them. Would you just use this in their lives to just breathe life over them? Would you just produce fruit out of the season of their lives? And friends, it's changed everything. It's changed everything. It's changed my heart. It's changed my relationships when I can celebrate others because here's the thing. When we have discontent in our lives, it stops us. It paralyzes us from being able to celebrate with friends. Next, we need to remind ourselves and others that more is not better. More is not better. I was sharing, I had these, this list up on my screen and Broder was reading over this list and he said, mom, it says, remind yourself that more is better. Do you mean to say that? Like, just check it. My good catch, Broder, one word makes a big difference. More is not better. Friends, when we're buying something, when we're holding that item, when we have it in our cart online, we need to ask ourselves, do I need this? And why am I buying it? And I'm not saying don't buy it. I'm just saying we need to get honest about why we're filling our lives with more stuff. Do I need this? And why am I buying it? The last thing, friends, we need to get some goals. We need to embrace godly ambition. For some of us, our contentment has led us to a place of complacency. And we've just gotten really comfortable with our lives. And we need to remember that God has put us in this incredible world with all of these things we get to experience and do and relationships to engage in. And he's given us a mission to pursue. And unless we get out of our comfortable place and pursue godly ambition in our lives, Friends, it shrinks our heart. It shrinks our heart. How are you gonna cultivate contentment in your life? And as I've studied this over the past week, one of the things I loved was that, that this word that is used here for content actually means, Paul used this word, that means being self-sufficient, which kind of threw me off a little bit. But content is actually this Greek word for contained, and they used it to describe the individual who had all of the resources contained in themselves so that they wouldn't need the resources of other people. And so Stoic philosophers of Paul's time used this word, contentment, to describe one of the most valuable attributes of one who is wise, okay? So contentment in Paul's day was the mark of someone who was wise. So Paul uses this same word as the thinkers of the day, the academics of the day, and he used this and he said, I am content. But friends, it is not based on my self-sufficiency. 
It is not something that is based on my own resource, but my contentment comes from Christ. And yes, Christ is contained within me. What's that, that passage from Philippians? It says this in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, but it is no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. So from the outside, it might look like I have self-sufficiency. It might look like I am doing the work or that I have it all together, but I know it is because Christ lives in me. And my sufficiency, my contentment comes not from myself, but it comes from Christ. Friends, are you allowing Christ to give you what you need today? There are so many people today that are angry at God. They're carrying so much hurt. They are carrying so many burdens, and maybe that's you this morning. You look at your life like some cosmic scorecard, and you're losing, and you have been for a long time. Maybe you've grown complacent and you have forgotten that contentment means we find our satisfaction in Christ, which involves spending time with him. And you've been meaning to, but you've been so busy. The discontent in your life is leading you to growing dissatisfaction with God instead of asking him to just provide for all of your needs. Or maybe you want to be content, but you just can't get your mind off that thing. You wish God would provide some direction for your life, that spouse you wish were different, the house where something wasn't always falling apart. Friends, the funny thing about contentment is that if we don't work to cultivate it where we are, discontent follows us. And we bring it wherever we are. If you're discontent in, find, in your single life, finding the perfect spouse means you've just transferred the title of discontent over to them. We think life will be fixed as soon as our job becomes more manageable and then suddenly we get a promotion and now we're left with a new mix of problems. Or as parents of young kids, you think if they would just sleep through the night, then life would be great and it'll all be perfect. And then we stay up too late trying to figure out our bills or watching Netflix. Right? Our discontent, it follows us and we look for satisfaction in all these other places instead of allowing Christ to create real joy. And so friends, we need to get ruthless about mining out this discontent in our lives and practicing contentment. And what I found is that oftentimes true contentment is sticky. True contentment is sticky. And I don't mean it like the gross kind of, I just stepped in a wad of gum sticky. But like experiencing contentment in your life, people tend to notice and they tend to stick to you. And it's often something that as we look at another person's life, we can't even put our finger on it. But as we lean in closer, we see the peace they have even in the face of difficulty. We sense that they're not striving for perfection or even to prove anything. They just seem comfortable in their own skin. They laugh easily and often, oftentimes at themselves. They seem settled, not because they have settled in life, because they know what it is to work hard for something, but settled and sure. And they trust, friends. They trust so freely. It's almost like they have nothing to lose and everything to gain. 
Friends, I know I have so many ways that I long to grow and learn contentment in my life, and I've seen it in others. Just to wrap up this morning, a story is told of a leper colony. <clears throat> and this colony is on the island of Tobago, which is just off the coast of Trinidad. And a short-term missionary met a woman who was a leper on a missions trip. And on this final day, he was leading worship in a leper colony, and he asked if anyone had a favorite song. And when he did, a woman turned around, and he saw in her the most disfigured face he had ever seen. She had no ears, she had no nose, her lips had been eaten away, the leprosy had taken them, but she raised a fingerless hand and said, could we sing, count your many blessings? The missionary started the song, but couldn't finish. And someone later commented, I suppose you'll never be able to sing the song again. And he answered, no, I'll sing it again, just never the same way. Friends, true contentment means we're singing the same song, but we never sing it the same way. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word to us, for the invitation in our lives. And Father, we just ask that as we partake in communion now, that you would meet us in this place, that would, you would remind us that contentment comes when we um, receive all that you have given to us that you've met us through your son Jesus on the cross. In your name we pray.